Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Just as a heads up, we are holding in-person services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Also, if you'd like to join us for a to-go meal, we are serving those every Wednesday through our Bread of Life Cafe at 5.30 p.m. If you'd like to get more connected to our church, feel free to email centralchurch1 at gmail.com or call us at 513-481-5820. We look forward to hearing from you. And now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, we are uh, in our, our series of, on John, and this is a message that I call the second miracle. Uh, for obvious reasons, just as Mitzi read, that this is the second sign that Jesus performed to, after he returned from Judea to Galilee. So that's going to be the framework for our message today. What is the second miracle? And I think this is actually super relevant to our lives. Uh, so hopefully this really speaks to you because what this is going to do is tied directly into next week. And I'm going to give you a sneak preview. I'm actually not preaching from John next week. I really want you to be here. I'm even going to show you a slide. Sorry, I'm even going to show you a slide that says, I want you to be here next week if you can be. I'm that serious about it. But I'll get to more of that later. So the second miracle. This uh, yesterday, actually, I saw a miracle. I was uh, driving up the road with my son, leaving our neighborhood, and uh, on a lawn on the left, it happened. I saw a guy in a suit. I saw a girl in a dress. After a whole year of weird cancellations and pauses and delays, I saw a guy and a girl getting ready for prom. I saw a miracle. Because last year, about this time, it felt like doom and gloom had just set over over our neighborhoods, over our city, over the world. I mean, prom was not thinkable last year, right? We didn't know anything about the pandemic. It's obviously still going on, but somehow, some way, I was able to witness prom is happening again. You know, in earlier in life, I'd seen, you know, some really impressive things, but when you go through a year like we just went through, it's like, wow, I just saw something incredible. These kids are actually going to prom once again. So I saw a miracle, right? Let's talk about this story involving Jesus and the royal official. So I call him a nobleman. You can call him a royal official, whatever you want to call him. Who is, who is he serving? Who is this guy serving? He's not serving some traditional king of Israel. He is one, likely one of Herod's officials. And what I mean, and it's not Herod the Great, by the way, it's one of his sons. So he had some sons, and he, after he died, the kingdom of Israel was divided up into four areas, and they were called tetrarchs. You know, if you want to be the bad guy in a movie, great title for you is Tetrarch. Um, this would be Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, probably. So this nobleman was likely serving him, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his son who is seemingly going to die. Where's this happening? 
It's not happening. You know, last week we talked about the Samaritan woman and how Samaria is in the north, Judea is in the south. This isn't happening in the good old south where you expect the good godly things to happen. This is happening, again, outside of that area. It's happening in Galilee. So just take note. That's really important. This is happening in Galilee. And John specifically mentions this not just as any old miracle, but as the second miracle in his whole account. And both of them so far have taken place, not in Judea, where Jerusalem is located, but in Galilee. Jesus is doing things not by the book necessarily. So in Galilee, people had already witnessed the water-to-wine miracle. So they knew at least or wished that Jesus could do something more for this guy. You know, you've seen Jesus turn water to wine. You're like, that's a really awesome miracle. Can you do other things? You know, I, I know the story of Elisha. I know the stories in the Old Testament where people are healed where you know Naaman goes down and he's cured of leprosy like we know there are miracles Jesus can you do more than that is likely the question that's operating in their minds so inevitably the nobleman living here in Galilee and operating at his base here not in Judea but in, in Galilee would have known that Jesus could perform miracles you know it's that word will get out People are going to take notice that Jesus can do something different than the average person. And the nobleman comes to him and realizes that my son is not well. There's a chance he might even die. And he comes to Jesus only knowing so far that he can turn water to wine. And he asks him to do something incredibly bold. He asks him to heal his son. He even invites him to come over and heal him, come to Capernaum and heal my son. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't go with him. He doesn't need to be present and work some kind of medicinal cure. Jesus says, go, go home. Your son's healed. And what's really interesting is the servants turn around so this nobleman's servants turn around when he finally gets back the next day. They turn around and say, yeah, your son's fever stopped at about one o'clock. And the nobleman realized that's the moment that Jesus said something to me that I could go home and my son would be healed. So here's the thing. The nobleman has to go on this long journey home. You know, they didn't have, you know, Hondas and Toyotas and Fords and Chevys, oh my. Like they, they didn't have things to get home quickly. It took him a while. That's a huge act of faith right there to say like, okay, if Jesus says go back and he's healed, like I can't just go back and say, Jesus, he isn't better. Like that's going to take another day and risking his son getting worse. It's a bold move for, I just want you to understand the context here. It's bold for this man to trust Jesus at his word. No medicinal objects, no cures, nothing, not even coming to be present. At his word alone, this man goes believing that Jesus has integrity and he means what he says. And as a result, 
You know, he finds his son healed. Sorry. The nobleman, and here's the other side of this that I want you to see. Against all odds, doubts and fears, he believes that Jesus can do this. He believes Jesus can do this, and let me just name some of those doubts and fears that you might have. If you're serving Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, or any one of his sons, and you are one of his royal officials, chances are um, Jesus isn't, you know, esteemed very highly by Herod. He's not, they're not buddy-buddy. Jesus' kingdom runs counter to Herod's rule. So already, there's a risk. This nobleman's coming vulnerably to Jesus and asking him to heal him, heal his son. It's a bold move because it's like your boss is not going to be happy if he finds out that you went and asked Jesus for help. This Jesus who is doing something counter to what Herod's doing. And Herod, for all intents and purposes, that there's not a good Herod. Like the Herods are never the good guys in the Gospels. They're always up to no good. And when I mean up to no good, like it's devastating the things that they did. But against all odds and his doubts and fears, he comes to Jesus, asks him for his son to be healed, and he believes him. And he discovers that his son is healed. So this is, again, a very simple message. I'm not bringing, I don't think I'm bringing anything overly complicated But I just want to ask the question, what fears and doubts do you have about Jesus doing the unexpected in your life? Because here's the thing. There's a way of going about this that is unhealthy. And here's what I mean. There's a way of approaching Jesus as the genie in the bottle saying, if I just believe and in my mind, if my mind can agree that Jesus can do this, then I'll get everything I want. And I'm not going to stand up here and preach that to you. That's not at all what this message is about. But I do want to dig deeper and ask that question. What fears and doubts do you have about Jesus doing the unexpected in your life? And let me just name some things. Because I'm a vulnerable person. I want to be transparent with you and level with you because if we don't ask these questions they're just going to sit in our minds and we'll never be able to dig deeper with the holy spirit so let's just name some of those things what fears and doubts do you have about jesus healing what baggage do you have about that i mean the list goes on there's so many people within our own congregation right now that are begging for healing. Like, it's understandable to have baggage. It's understandable to have fears and doubts. Because what we don't get in this story is, I bet, more than anything, that this royal official had fears and doubts. You know, that he's going to just have to take it on Jesus' word alone, that his son would be healed. I think oftentimes, and maybe this is just my own upbringing, but when I pray for healing, sometimes I can admit, like, I have fears and doubts about that. 
I really do. I don't know about you, but it's like, I've seen more people not get better than I have seen people get better. And it scares the daylights out of me to ask God for healing. But here's, here's the issue with that. What if, and I just want you to propose this question in your mind, what if God can do something miraculous? I think that fears and doubts are real. In fact, I know they are. But what if it's also real that God does intervene in such a way as a, as a foretaste of our future to come, resurrected eternal life, as a foretaste of that, God does do things in the here and now that shock us and make our jaws drop to the floor. What if God can do that now? It scares the daylights out of me to pray for healing because I don't know what's going to happen. But I think the right approach is to name it and say, Lord, I have fears and doubts about this. It is no, there's no question that healing just comes with so much baggage within my own family, within our now state, where we are here in this moment. Like praying for healing feels like a heavy weight because it feels like this never-ending, ongoing list of people that need God to heal them. But I also want to name not just healing, I want to name what if God can do something and work transformation in our lives? Because here's the other thing. <laughs> you know, healing has a lot of baggage, but transformation does too. Because, you know, back when I was on social media, I'd see memes all the time about how, like, if a person says sorry over and over again, then they're not really sorry. I'm like, great. I'm glad that you are perfectly righteous, that you don't make mistakes, and that you never have to say sorry. Congratulations. Please tell us how you do it. Not true. Absolutely not true. There's a difference between somebody who's in a repetitive cycle of, you know, emotional or mental struggles, but that's not the same as somebody who can come and confess that they're sorry and do it over and over again because they know that they are a sinner and Christ is a great Savior. There is a difference. But transformation is a really touchy subject. I'm just going to name the personal thing for all of us, individual ways of experiencing transformation. I don't know if you're like me, and I've named this a few times, but I'm the kind of person that can be super self-critical. Transformation feels laughable sometimes. I have baggage with it because it's like, can I really be a better person? I mean, is it possible within me that God could do something that would transform me to help me gradually become a better person? The short answer is yes. But here, it's not just about me. It's like when there are other people that let us down. Think about it. Could God transform that person in such a way that they might grow to be more and more like Jesus? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Because here is what's going to happen. 
we need to be people who start to name our fears and doubts. Not let them tell the story completely, but we have to name them. And say, like, Lord, I'm scared that so-and-so has let me down so many times that they're not going to change. But you know what? God can do something in that person's life. I think all of this just comes from expecting Jesus to be a well-intentioned and well-meaning God, but an unable God. Our fears and doubts often come from a place of, you know, Jesus, you mean well, so I feel like I should bring this request to you, but I know you can't do anything about it. Do you ever feel like that? And maybe that's not something you speak out loud, but it is something you feel. Just like the royal official probably came with his fears and doubts and his baggage that didn't stop him from coming to him in a place of begging. I mean, if you're working for the top dog in Galilee, Herod, and then all of a sudden you have to come begging a peasant from the south to heal your son because your rich boss is unable to do it, that tells me that that guy believed that Jesus was able. And that's a question I want us to let sink into our hearts. What if God is able? What if God is able? Is it possible that despite the cynicism of our culture that God may want to bring renewal and healing in our lives? Yes. It is possible. He can and he will. I mean, are we going to be the people that are so cynical that say, not, not in our lives, we just don't see that. Or are we going to be the people who look at that cynicism and we name it and we say, I've seen this fail so many times, but God, once again, I'm going to come to you begging, just like this guy who should have had everything together came to you and begged for you to do something that no one else could. Because I'm just starting to believe that God wants to do something in our church. That it's not a mistake that you are here today. Because, believe me, there's plenty of cynicism to go around. Plenty. But we don't need that here. Cynicism meaning like, I've been there, I've done that, and it doesn't work. That's what cynicism is. But renewal can come. Renewal can come. When we come as beggars to the man and the God who can do something about it. We can overcome the cynicism in our culture. And here's the thing. It's not just renewal and healing within ourselves as individuals. It's healing and renewal that can come and spread from this place, from these people out into the wider world. It can happen. It's happened in the past. If you don't know this story, I I told it last year, but look up the Hebrides revival. This revival that happened in the north of of the United Kingdom 
after World War II when everybody was cynical because you know what? A lot of people died during that bloody, horrifying war. They were cynical. Like, why would I trust God? God didn't intervene in this war. Like, people's sons died. People's fathers died. But God broke out in such a unique and powerful way that this little town in the north of the United Kingdom was exploding with revival and people coming to Jesus. I mean, that can happen here. It doesn't take a big show to get people to come here because Jesus is the the one who deserves our attention. It can be as simple as we wouldn't even need all of this stuff. And if I just stood down there and our singers just stood down there and it was just simple, God could move through that. It doesn't take the biggest show in town for God to be at work because God is already at work among us And I think if we submit in such a way that we can also experience the gift of renewal and healing. And trust me, I'm not saying this from a place of like utter confidence. I'm saying this from a place of this has happened throughout history. Don't look at me and say like, well, he's confident. He believes it. Look at the story of the church of Jesus over the centuries, over the millennia, and you will see that renewal starts when people reach the end of themselves. I'm going to name one more thing. I've named a few things and I just want to be transparent. The dynamics of our church have changed. We know it. Like, there's no secret about it. Okay, cat's out of the bag. The dynamics of our church have changed. We've experienced a lot of pain a lot of frustrating conversations, a lot of misunderstandings. And maybe we've even been complicit in driving people to make other choices. We don't know all of the details, but we know that the dynamics of this congregation have changed. You know it and I know it. But you know what? That does not mean that God has left these people. He has not left you and me. God actually can. He is able. It's been one of my prayers this week is to just, when I come and I'm praying for the people of this church, when I'm praying for healing, when I'm praying for unity, when I'm praying for renewal, I I just have to come to a place of I'm at the end of myself, and I've just have to say, like, I can't, Jesus, but you can. And maybe that can be your prayer. It doesn't matter what it is in your life, but you, you use that, like, however you want to say it, but I can't, Jesus, but you can. Take that and run with it and see what God does with it. Because God is able. He is not a weak unable God. He is actually able and willing to do things in our lives. This is kind of a segue into next week. This is from an amazing book called Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. Highly recommend you check it out, but check this out. Lack of commitment is not going to bring renewal. Business as usual will not bring renewal. 
Accumulating knowledge without putting it into practice will not bring renewal. We need our autopilot patterns interrupted. Friends, we cannot just coast and expect God to do things. Like, yes, he can do things without us. But for whatever odd reason, God said, I'm giving the the world the church and I'm going to operate through them and they're going to be the ones that give the world a foretaste of what is to come when Jesus returns. God chose to work through broken people like you and me. I don't know why he he chose us, but he did. Every single one of you in this room has something to contribute to this kingdom movement that is exploding all over the world. And even though we don't always see it here, maybe not immediately in Cincinnati, maybe not within the United States, it is all over the world. But let's just speak for our neighborhood and our city. What if God wants to do something through us? Maybe not maybe not dazzling in lights, but maybe enough that people might come to saving relationship with Jesus and then they go out and do the same thing for other people. Maybe we can be that place. But we need our autopilot patterns interrupted, as Mark Sayers says. We're not going to do it by just accumulating knowledge without putting it into practice. We have to make this our livelihood. We need belief, just as the guy, the nobleman, had belief to see the seeds of renewal take root. Now, does that mean you have zero doubts? Absolutely not. Belief means it's almost like coming to Jesus like a child. Knowing that he has what we need and that we just can't get what we need with, on our own. Like right now, Jack was not feeling well last night. He was just crying and crying and crying. Very unusual for him because he usually sleeps through the night. He was crying deeply throughout the night. And he called out for Kayla. He called out for Mama. Because he believed that she had something he needed. And I just want to propose to you today that that's how we need to come to Jesus. And yes, you can come with tears. It's okay. You can come sobbing in a mess. That's not unbelief. That is actually belief. You can come just as broken as my son was last night to Kayla. You can come that way to Jesus. And I think it's with that kind of belief that we will see the seeds of renewal take root. So here's my, here's my suggestion. No, it's not a suggestion. It is a strong recommendation. Be here next week. Bring a friend. Give them the Zoom link. Whatever you got to do, bring somebody. Because next week, I'm preaching Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Our theme this year is to be deeply rooted. And it comes from that verse. It comes from that verse. There's some exciting things we have going on. It's Compassion Sunday. I know Karen will be uh, speaking about that. And then we're going to pray 
and maybe even maybe even get on our knees if we can or if we even want to and just beg God to move in our church and move in this city. It doesn't have to look pretty, but we're going to do it because we need God. We need Jesus to move in our congregation and move in our neighborhood. This is God's world. So why not submit to someone who loves us and wants to hear what we need and actually is able to do something about it? So friends, please come next week if you're able to, if you're around and in town, please be here. I'm not going to come and say that this is going to happen. I'm just saying we're going to come and be in a posture of begging God. I don't think you're going to want to miss this. So bring a friend, send them the Zoom link. If you need any of that information, reach out to me. I'd be happy to give that to you. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. We're going to close out this week. And there's so much I want to tell you, but next week, be here if you can be. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus who is able. We thank you that you're a God that can. You're not weak. You're not passive. But you are very active in this world. You're very willing and you're very loving. We come to you today as the royal official came to Jesus, begging. We're begging for healing. We're begging for renewal. We're begging Lord, that you would come and move once again in our midst because we know we need you. So, Father, we just lay down all of our fears, all of our worries, and we know that next week we come with just anticipation, not expectation, but anticipation, knowing that you want to move in this congregation. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, I can't, but you can. In Jesus' name.